HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. Learn more at appeal.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at things that have changed and things that are still in flux. From mothers balancing new lifestyles to the social stigma surrounding pumpkin spice. You got rid of the star rating system and talked about like, I'm not going to use the word ethnic when I talk about food. They recognized that safety was our motivation and, and they were very you know, receptive to the changes, understanding what we were trying to accomplish. A cupcake or a piece of bacon or a glass of rosé is not inherently gendered. Tune in to Meet N3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Producing food requires land. As a result, forests are often raised to make space for crops or animals, creating environmental trade-offs. But what if there were a middle ground between forest and farmland? My guest today is Jacob Grace, a program manager at the Savannah Institute based in Madison, Wisconsin. And we're going to be talking about a farming system called agroforestry. Jacob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lisa. Glad to be here. So I want to just kind of make this episode essentially an agroforestry 101 to really give people a sense of what this looks like. Um, Before we dive into that, Why don't you give listeners a quick overview of what the Savannah Institute is? Sure. Uh, So the Savannah Institute is a nonprofit organization. Um, We're we're based out of Madison, Wisconsin, but uh, we're working throughout the upper Midwest. And our goal is really to lay the groundwork for agroforestry throughout the upper Midwest. Um, We're a pretty young organization. Um, We've really only been active for about five years now, but... um, we're working with a lot of partners and have a lot of uh, new projects coming up. So um, 
we're we're eager to to try to expand and support agroforestry as much as we can here in the Midwest. Got it. And what's your background? I grew up on a farm actually in northern Missouri. Um and my parents are still on the farm and uh raise beef cattle, um, do some grazing and then also uh, raise uh, prairie plants, which is kind of unusual. Um, wow. And we also had a fair bit of timber on the farm growing up. Uh, my parents still do. Um, so I was involved in doing some forestry work as well. Um, and after growing up in northern Missouri, I, I ended up at the University of Wisconsin studying agroecology, um, which is just kind of a, a cross between conservation biology and uh, agriculture um, or mm-hmm. agriculture and ecology, as the name suggests. Um, and it was while I was doing graduate work here at UW-Madison that I first learned about the Savannah Institute uh, and was really interested in what they were doing and uh, ended up getting to work for them now. So um, that's how I got where I am. Got it. Well, and it's it's cool that there's kind of a direct line between um, the work you're doing now and and the farm you grew up on. That's that's definitely re- yeah. yeah yeah. So okay, so I'm gonna just throw this out <laughs> the most basic question <laughs> ever. What uh-huh. what is agroforestry? Yeah, that's a great place to start, and I try to keep it simple. I know there are a lot of definitions floating around out there, but I think agroforestry is anytime you're using trees for agriculture or using trees for farming, basically. Um, and so it, that can incorporate a lot of different things. And um, the USDA recognizes five main agroforestry practices. Um, but if, if you go to other parts of the world, especially, but, you know, even in Europe, they, you know, they kind of laugh at the idea that there are only five agroforestry practices. There can really be a lot of different potential things people could be doing. Um, and when you get into the tropics, that's the whole other world in terms of agroforestry. So to just try to kind of keep it simple, I often define agroforestry as just anytime we're using trees or even shrubs, you know, tree-like plants uh, for some type of agriculture or farming. Okay. And I didn't realize that uh, other parts of the world were using agroforestry so much is is the U.S. sort of behind on that front? Well, um, I think to to look at it historically, you know, agroforestry is one of the oldest types of agriculture of all, and you know, it's been done for thousands of years, really, um, and around the world, and a lot of indigenous farming practices incorporate some type of agroforestry. So. Um, it, you know, kind of taking the long view or the historical view, there's a lot of different stuff out there. Um, and again, using my pretty broad definition, you know, agroforestry has been going on for a long, long time and in a lot of different parts of the world. And that's part of why it can be difficult to define is that in different parts of the world, it can look pretty different, you know, especially thinking about in the tropics compared to someplace like where I'm at in Wisconsin, where we have four very uh, very specific seasons and we have a very hard winter. And so, um, it really changes what's possible here. Right. Um, I think that's, it's like a lot of things in agriculture there 
are practices that have been used for a very long time, you know, yeah. by many farmers. And then they, uh, so, some fall out of use or maybe they're, uh, they're used on an ongoing basis, but then they're, you know, there's a word for it and it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, what's this new thing? Right. Yeah. That's a good way to put <laughs> uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the five practices that the USDA recognizes, and I know the Savannah Institute works on um, kind of educating people on those five practices. So mm-hmm. I thought one way to to do this is just kind of go through um, each of those and talk a little bit about each one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So let's start with um, riparian buffers. How do you describe a riparian buffer? Yeah. So a riparian area is um, kind of the boundary of land right near a body of water. Um, So if we're thinking about things like erosion or pollution, riparian areas are really important because it's kind of the last, uh, you know, the last place to stop some of these things from going into a body of water and potentially contaminating it. So um, there are a lot of different things that people do in these riparian areas um, to try to uh, reduce soil loss or, or potentially prevent some of the runoff or things like that. But um, in terms of agroforestry, one of the things you can do is plant trees. And that means that there will be roots in the ground there um, all year round, helping stabilize that soil. Um, and that can kind of anchor some additional habitat or, or ecosystem functions that can hopefully filter some of that water as it's running off the land, getting down to that body of water. Um, yeah, so to just keep it simple, it's it's planting trees near the edge of bodies of water, like streams or rivers or lakes or something like that. Right. These are really widespread where I am um, mm-hmm. in the in Maryland because of the Chesapeake Bay. And ah. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, um, you know, the, <laughs> the biggest, biggest source of pollution into the Chesapeake Bay is agricultural runoff. Um, yeah. Our watershed includes farms in New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia. And one of the biggest things that has been effective at keeping those nutrients out of the Bay is um, planting riparian buffers along streams and, um, just all the waterways that lead into the bay. So yeah, that's one that that we talk a lot about in the mid-Atlantic <laughs> for sure. Got it. Um, so, okay, so how about silvopasture? What does that look like? Yeah, so silvopasture is, uh, by the USDA definition at least, it's the, the agroforestry practice that brings livestock in mainly. Um, so silvopasture is... Uh, a combination of three things, and it's important to have all three. You got the livestock, you have trees or shrubs, and then you have some type of forage that you're growing beneath those trees. Um, Especially where I am in Wisconsin, there's um, a pretty negative history of uh, people doing unmanaged grazing in the woods, which is not the same thing as silvopasture. That's just letting your livestock run around in the forest and it is usually detrimental to the trees and the habitat. But um, when it's done well, silvopasture is the incorporation of livestock and tree crops or, you know, some type of tree and then forage or, or something for the livestock to graze and managing that in a way that all three kind of mutually benefit and support each other. Right. 
So that one really applies to livestock, um, to farmers that are raising animals. Um, And then on the other hand, we have alley cropping, which is more for cropland. That's right. It's exactly. So alley cropping is planting trees within existing crop ground, basically, um, and then having rows of trees that gradually mature. And depending on how you're doing it, you'll you'll probably keep raising crops for a while until those trees get larger and, and form a canopy. And then you can either shift over to silvopasture or, you know, do some type of forest farming underneath, but alley cropping is really just a way of, of raising rows of trees within or alongside of crops. Are, are there certain crops that are best suited to that kind of system? That's a good question. And I, I think the answer is complicated because um, you can also be planting a lot of different trees in these rows and this is something we're working on at the Savannah Institute is thinking about, you know, depending on what type of trees or shrubs you're planting, uh, what kind of crops go well with that. Um, and one of the things that ends up happening is that as these trees mature, you know, you can start out growing some more traditional annual crops that that are going to need a lot of sunlight. But then as those trees start to mature, you can start shifting over to maybe some things like uh, winter annuals or something that's going to have a little bit different growth period, maybe not need as much sunlight. So, um, but I think it, there are a variety of crops that will work, but also thinking about the progression of crops that you're going to plant as those trees mature is pretty important. Got it. Um, okay. And what about windbreaks? Yeah. So this is another one that's pretty straightforward. This is just planting trees along some type of boundary um, to interrupt wind flow. Um, This is uh, another one that I think is fairly common around here. Even when I drive across Iowa, and it's pretty much all corn and soybeans as far as the eye can see, near most of the houses you'll see a little windbreak that people have planted to to shelter their houses a little bit. and this is something that uh, farmers will use these windbreaks to help prevent wind erosion or reduce wind erosion. Um, and then also now more and more people are uh, planting these windbreaks to help uh, to try to prevent pesticide drift or, uh, or any type of um, pesticide or herbicide traveling from field to field. They can plant some type of quick growing tree like a poplar that's they're they're not really raising the tree to to harvest anything from it necessarily but just to really provide a buffer and have some big leaves and some things to try to interrupt that flow that's interesting and the trees aren't affected well, necessarily by the idea the is the trees would be negatively affected but hopefully it would you know reduce any more serious impacts to it the would field still stop yep. it from yeah yeah Okay. Hmm. Um, okay. And the last one um, is funny because it sounds kind of just like the word <laughs> agroforestry, forest <Yep>. farming. <laughs> yeah. So, so what is forest farming specifically? Yeah. So forest farming is thinking about using forests to produce agricultural products, basically. Um, so to uh, it, it's often easiest to explain with examples. So things like uh, sugar maples, raising, um, you know, 
maple syrup is an example of forest farming. Um, people that are using forests oh. or, um, you know, different setups with uh, forest logs or things like that to raise mushrooms is another common example of forest farming. So it's it's something that we're, at least in the Midwest, we're not used to thinking of farming happening in a forest, but there are certain things that you can raise um, uh, that you do want to have in a forest or, or even under shade. So things that you don't want to have out in an open field. Um, and again, it's, it's something that, you know, we're used to raising crops and fields that need lots of sunlight, but, um, there are some of these other things that, um, you can raise much better in a forest in a shaded system. Right. Are there risks to that approach in terms of disrupting the forest itself? Yeah, so that that's a very important consideration, and you um, it, it depends on whether you're if you have a, a really nice pristine forest, then hopefully you're managing that for habitat or for ecosystem services rather than um, just for agricultural production. Um, but in thinking about kind of the the timeline of some of these agroforestry practices, if you're doing something like alley cropping, um, you're starting out with these small trees that are getting larger and larger. And then at some point you may end up with um, this field that is a mostly closed canopy of trees. And then you might want to think about what are some things you can raise under that canopy where it's not really a, you know, a, a really pristine forest that's really good habitat quality, but it is still a closed canopy and shaded. And you might want to think about how to use that and Mm. forest farming would be a good option. Okay. So, you know, agroforestry is not um, well known, I would say at this point. I mean, like you said, I think probably people are, some people are using some of the practices and might not even realize um, that there's a name for it. But overall, it doesn't have a lot of like widespread, um, there isn't widespread sort of mm-hmm. um, awareness. How, how do you have any sense of like how many farmers at this point are using agroforestry or if one or a few of these practices are, are much more common than others? Yeah. So I think you make a really good point that uh, I think more people are doing it than realize it especially when it comes to things like windbreaks and riparian buffers. Um, And because a lot of these agroforestry practices have kind of fuzzy definitions like we've been talking about, or because people don't necessarily realize that they're using agroforestry, it is hard to to know um, how widespread it is. Um, The USDA has started trying to uh, estimate how many farms are using agroforestry. And in the last couple of um, agricultural censuses, they've had a question about um, whether or not farms are using some type of agroforestry. So um, in the 2012 ag census, um, it's listed as about 2,000 farms said they were using agroforestry. And then in the 2017 ag census, it said about 30,000. But apparently the definition wow. that they were using changed in between those two surveys. So it's, yeah, oh, so no. they can't really be compared to each other. But, um, and that also doesn't take into account, um, you know, that's just talking about number of farms. That's not asking number of acres, which in some ways is the more interesting question. Um, but I think it's safe to say there are a lot of farms that are using some type of agroforestry. Um, 
but how many are actually, um, you know, really aware of that and doing it on a large number of acres, I think is pretty small. Yeah, that's interesting, though, that they're collecting stats at the USDA. I didn't realize that. I've spent a lot of time looking at that um, ag census data. So next time I'll, I'll go in and check out yeah. the agroforestry <laughs> and, stats. And don't be fooled because it, it does sound like they uh, they changed how they were calculating it between the last two. So it seems like a pretty amazing increase, yeah. but uh, <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. I, right, of, I'm yeah. sure that's a bummer on your end. You're like, wow, everyone's really? doing agriculture. Right. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Here at HRN, we care about reducing waste across our food system, from farms to home kitchens. We know that about half of the produce we grow ends up in the trash. We want to enjoy produce at peak freshness and reduce the amount that gets thrown away. That's where Appeal comes in. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. It's edible, invisible, and imitates how peels naturally protect fruits and vegetables. Because here's the thing, less waste doesn't just mean we're throwing less food away. It also means we waste less water, energy, and other resources that go into growing produce. Appeal works with nature to reduce waste across the food system, from the farm to the kitchen. Appeal helps us conserve our precious resources to ensure we have fresh food to meet our growing need. Appeal. Food gone good. Learn more at appeal.com. We're back. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Lisa Held, and I'm talking to Jacob Grace from the Savannah Institute about agroforestry. So, Jacob, we've been talking about what agroforestry mm-hmm. looks like, what it is, yep. what the practices are. Um, what are the most significant benefits? Like, what what is the, the point yeah. of all of this, essentially? Um, well... I'll, uh, there are a lot of benefits. I'll, <laughs> yeah. Let's start with the environment. Yeah, I'll, How about, I'll try let's to, start with the to focus on a couple <laughs> big ones, and, and the environment's a great one to start with. And in particular, at the Savannah Institute, one thing we're really focused on is carbon sequestration and climate change mitigation. Um, and so agroforestry uh, being a a perennial type of farming means that there are roots in the ground all year round. Um, it's building up that woody biomass. So that's taking carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, and as much as possible, getting it down into the soil where hopefully it's a little bit more stable. Um, and then also, you know, in, in putting that carbon down into the soil, building, um, soil organic matter, hopefully retaining some of that soil, preventing soil erosion. Um, so from an environmental perspective, um, there are a lot of uh, a lot of benefits of trying to incorporate agroforestry, and I think it's important uh, to include that those are environmental benefits on working agricultural lands. So, uh, trying to keep these lands in agricultural production, um, keep them making a profit for the farmer, while also doing this um, climate change mitigation and carbon sequestration. Um, 
and just looking at uh, the, uh, let me pull it back up here. Um, Project Drawdown lists silvopasture as number nine on its list of um, climate solutions. So that's number nine. It's right in between solar farms and rooftop solar panels. So I think that kind of puts into context where um, just the impact that some of these agroforestry practices can have if they're adopted on um, a pretty broad scale and if they're done correctly. So environmentally speaking, um, agroforestry has a lot to offer. Right. And then what about um, benefits for farmers? Like, are there ways that it can make a farm more financially viable, um, more resilient? What does it look like for the farmers? So this is another thing that we're really interested in at the Savannah Institute. And, um, you know, we're we're thinking about the environmental side of things, but um, especially here in the Midwest, um, also thinking about the fact that for these to be widely adopted, they do need to be profitable for farmers and for landowners. Um, and one of the main benefits we see of agroforestry right now um, is uh, allowing farmers to diversify their sources of income. Um, a lot of farms and a lot of farmers are really struggling right now um, if they're dealing with the commodity market. Um, here in Wisconsin, the dairy industry is really in trouble. Um, and that's a really unfortunate situation, but it's also can be an opportunity to, um, you know, present farmers with something that could potentially be an additional source of income with some of these agroforestry types. They wouldn't necessarily need to quit anything they're doing already, but they can incorporate a new, a new crop or some type of new practice that might hopefully, um, diversify their sources of income as we're facing a lot of variability, um, in some really tough times. Um, so in addition to that, providing diversity of income sources, another bonus of agroforestry that we talk a lot about um, is something that's called uh, overyielding, which sounds like it might be a bad thing, but uh, it is is actually, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's it a does. tricky term, but it's the idea of basically getting two or more crops off the same piece of ground. So you know, farmers are always interested in getting mm. the highest yields they can, but that's usually off of just one crop. If you bring in agroforestry practices, you can start getting multiple yields off the same piece of land, which is a way to kind of raise that ceiling or, or to over yield, basically. So if you're thinking about something like alley cropping, um, you know, you could be raising pretty close to the the normal amount um, of some crop that you'd been raising on that field, but then also growing these trees that are ultimately going to be producing something as well. So you can start having yields over a hundred percent basically off of a piece of land. So, um, that's something that we talk a lot about to try to kind of put it in, in the terms, the economic terms that, um, that some landowners might already be thinking about. Right. And when you say that trees would be a, another source of income, they would be producing, yeah, say, like so, fruit or yeah. nuts. And that's a good thing instance. that we, we haven't really talked a lot about yet to kind of think about the practices again is, um, you know, raising the trees themselves to produce some type of crop is usually either a fruit tree or a, a nut a nut tree, a nut crop of some kind. Um and then also some of these shrubs that, you know, don't look like trees. We wouldn't think of them as trees, but they are technically an agroforestry, tro- uh, agroforestry crop. So um, 
a lot of different berry bushes, for example, uh, get kind of lumped in with agroforestry um, and have a lot of the same benefits. Right. Well, and I mean, the something like a fruit tree, um, if you're planting a, a small tree and then you're waiting for, you know, the day when you're able to harvest fruit from it, that's going to be that's a, right. several years, right? It's going to take a, take a while for it to, yeah. So I would imagine there's this long period of time where farmers are um, setting up these systems and, and are not necessarily seeing, you know, another crop that they can sell. Um, is that, is that waiting period? Is that a barrier yeah, to adoption? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, that's one of the biggest barriers to some of these agroforestry practices is the length of time it takes to establish um, some of these tree crops. And that's why um, some of these practices like alley cropping on the cropping side and silvopasture on the livestock side are great because they make it possible for farmers to keep using that land, to keep that land in production uh, to keep it cash flowing while these trees are young and getting established. Um, so that's uh, a really a major benefit of those two practices and um, why we at the Savannah Institute are doing a lot of work and a lot of research on those practices because when it comes to expanding agroforestry, that's going to be one of the first hurdles that um, a lot of people have to overcome is what are we going to do with this land as we're waiting for these trees to grow? And so that's where things like alley cropping and silvopasture really have a lot to offer. Right. I mean, theoretically, you could all, you could be already farming that land. You would already have exactly. it and you're just adding to it, right? So you don't need yep. to actually acquire yep. more land, right? But then, then, of course, there's a cost to to the, you know actually purchasing the trees installing the system um how how big of a cost is that upfront um, <laughs> yeah. cost for farmers that's that's another big upfront cost like you're saying is um not just purchasing the trees but um also maintaining the trees and that's uh i think an important thing to note is um a number of the partners that we work with talk about how it's it's not just important to plant trees. Our goal is not just to plant trees, but to grow trees. Planting trees is kind of this one-time thing that you get them in the ground, then you walk away. But that doesn't necessarily have any benefits if that tree doesn't survive. What we are really trying to do is to grow trees, so get them planted, and then the years of care that follow that to, to make sure that that tree um, you know, becomes a, an effective crop and starts um, sequestering carbon and, and getting all those benefits is really a long-term thing. And most of the cost is right up front um, when you're not getting any return off of that tree yet. So um, there are some pretty big upfront costs. And then another major obstacle that kind of goes along with that is land access. Um, and perennial farming systems like agroforestry kind of force farmers and institutions really to kind of think more long-term than they're used to thinking necessarily. So if you're going to do agroforestry on a piece of land, you kind of need to know that you are going to be able to have access or have control over that land for at least 10 years, probably at minimum. Um, and a lot of our uh, our land leasing policies and just kind of our, you know, a lot of the structures of how we access land in the Midwest are not really set up for that. Um, and that's not necessarily a financial obstacle, but um, 
it, it's it's related of you know to really establish yeah, some I, of this I agroforestry a lot of you need farmers, to have uh, um, an agreement that allows you to have control over that land systems, for, for but decades really or, are or it's not going to be worth the investment and, the um, and that's kind of a tricky problem but, but we're doing some work like on you that said, too you can't be planting trees that for you know that are going to be growing for decades if you've got a two-year lease it's just crazy um so there are some barriers, but there are these right. exciting benefits um, potentially for the <laughs> environment and, and also for farmers. Um, what are some things that are right. happening at the Savannah yeah. Institute or that others are doing that you think will really have an impact on expanding agroforestry and overcoming some of these barriers? That's a good question, and uh, it's it's a tough one to think about. Um I think one of the one of the first things that's uh, that we're trying to do at the Savannah Institute, um, especially as kind of a, a young organization, is um, just kind of gathering the elders. So here in the Midwest, there are some farms that have been doing agroforestry for for decades already. Um, they're they're few and far between, but there are people out there who have uh, who have been doing this and kind of making a lot of the mistakes for us that we can learn from, um, and and that's been a big part of what we're what we've been doing is um, trying to connect with some of these farmers and um, you know visit their farms. We've done you know a couple different video series where where we go and just show what these farms look like show people what it can look like to to see a, a mature agroforestry planting um which can be really inspiring we got some some really amazing drone footage this summer at one of these farms of uh, a drone flying around over this farm that that had trees planted in contour and it was just really beautiful um so i think that's one of the one of the first things we're doing is kind of um trying to connect with the elders for lack of a better term. Um, and then also in terms of organizations, there are a lot of organizations that have been working on, um, finding more sustainable ways to farm for decades now and, and getting connected with them and figuring out how to plug in. Um, and you know, we're, we're facing a lot of environmental crises right now. Um, but I guess the flip side of that is there are a lot of organizations and a lot of funders out there who who want to do things about that and want to make change. Um, and so there are uh, there there's getting to be a little bit more momentum for some of these things like agroforestry, well managed grazing, some of these things that um, can keep our farmland productive while still um, uh, producing some of these environmental benefits. Right. Do you think that agroforestry has potential at a really large scale? Like the examples I've seen are mostly small farms, which which might be, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing necessarily if all small farms do it that way, right? But I'm just curious, right. like, are there examples right. or do you see it being applied on like much larger farms as well? I would say it absolutely is possible to be done at the large scale. Mm. Um and I, I think it's it's important to be aware of the trade-offs with that. You know, a lot of the the really cool agroforestry stuff is done at the small scale because those are the, you know, super diverse, uh, very well-managed systems that you know 
people don't really have the time and money to do at the large scale. But um, it's it, you know it's kind of the trade-offs of quantity versus quality, I guess. And and this is something that that I that I deal with on almost a weekly basis is kind of you know living in that living with that tension. And I, you know, I think to, to deal with some of these things like the climate crisis, we, we're going to need really large scale solutions. And I think agroforestry can absolutely be that type of solution um, with the understanding that it, it might not necessarily be this super high diversity system. It might be, you know, fields of, of trees planted in rows and they might all be the same species or it might be a couple different species. So it's, you know, it's going to look a little bit more industrial um but if we want to do it at the at a really large scale we're going to need things that can be um that can be done at the large scale and and managed at the large scale so um you know i i think we kind of we need things at all at all levels along that continuum we need the the small farms that are doing tons of cool stuff on you know five or ten acres but um you know, some of the projects we're doing are working in Illinois where it's, you know, corn and soybeans as far as the eye can see and, and thinking about how can we use alley cropping or um, I guess we mostly be alley cropping, but, you know, start to figure out systems that could really be scaled up and, and be done on a, uh, all across the landscape. Right. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for all of your insights. Yeah, Lisa, thank you so much. I'm always happy to talk about agroforestry. <laughs> And thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. Until next time, this is Lisa Held. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.